Okay, got it. Ready? <clears throat> You're listening to Paul Elmore. Paul Elmore. <laughs> Shh. All right, everybody. Now that you're best friends, <clears throat> is this getting easier for any? Well, let me ask this question. At the beginning of this t- series, was this hard for some people? Maybe just actually just saying hi to people. Is it just as hard? Is it still freaking you out? Is it getting a little easier? Not easier. It's not getting any easier. <laughs> What's your name? Tamson. Tamson. Raise your hand. All right. Next week, I need everybody to come say hi to Tamson. <laughs> She's going to be up front. She's going to be shaking hands just like a reception line at a wedding, okay? She's going to be learning everyone's name so that the week after that, she's going to be the busiest person just going around here saying hi to all of her brand new friends. So you, do you get to take notes? You can take notes all you want. Um, I sort of have a solution, but probably not good enough one. The um, last two episodes or uh, evenings are posted online, so you can get those at one of two places, paulelmore.com, and just listen to them on there. You can actually download them from there if you just want to download an MP3 and put it on your iPod player. Um, They're also available on iTunes um, under the podcast. Just search Paul Elmore, and... um, except for people who are technically challenged and they might have a harder time. It's spelled I-T-U-N-E-S, iTunes, okay? Um, And then Paul Elmore, so that should be able to to find the last two episodes. If you go to my website, you can actually download the notes, you can actually download some worksheets, and that's where I'm going to be putting all of the notes and resources and stuff like that so you can have copies of, of the outlines and things like that. Does that make sense? Good. Um, oh, this is going to be fun. Okay, let's try that. Questions. Just a quick time. Is there any questions about anything we've covered so far in the last series, in the last couple of weeks? Anything at all that is just bugging you that you want to just touch base on? Now's your time. Because we don't ask questions at all, ever, through the rest of the series. Really, you guys are an easy audience. This is wonderful. Those forgiveness videos messed me up the whole week. The forgiveness videos messed you up the whole week. I have something to tag on to that, too. Excellent. Yeah. Um, I talked to a few people, and they were a little uh, frustrated last week because uh, it was like, uh, we just need to forgive our... Right. Yeah. How do we get to that point? It's like, it seems like there was a, a, a lack of, like, how do we get there? Break in there? What I'm hearing you say is there was some frustration because there was a lack of the how. How to forgive, how to get to that point. Yeah. You know what might be really interesting? Is if there was a whole other follow-up that talked about how to forgive. <laughs> that would be a good idea. I appreciate that. I'll pay you afterwards. Yes. Um, now, we're getting now we're getting somewhere. Now we're getting down to the meat. Um, and we're going to cover both because how to forgive. They're, they're, forgiveness for a lot of people is this kind of ambiguous thing that we're told we should, we should do. But even a lot of people aren't even sure what it looks like. Does forgiveness mean that you don't feel bad anymore? Does forgiveness mean that you are back in relationship? Does forgiveness mean that you don't... 
um, hurt or that the, you let the person off the hook or, you know, lots and lots of questions about it. So we're going to take it all apart today and figure out what, what forgiveness looks like, how to move through that. And then we're going to tag on the other half of, of um, failure, which is the grieving part, because sometimes there are mistakes that you just can't make up for. You can't make them better, you can't get over them, and you have to simply learn how to endure them. And that is actually called the grieving process. And we'll talk about that towards the end of the night. So thank you for the beautiful segue, I appreciate that. Any other just questions? I wanna make sure we're scratching some itches before we jump in and then we're gonna make record time. Oh my gosh, it's already 7.30, we are screwed. Um, No more questions. All right, we're going to try this. i got to get the clicker in the right place. There we go. Come on. First of all, um, let's do a quick um, what forgiveness is not, okay? Forgiveness doesn't... Oh, this is going to be a great evening. Come on, it's the little red button in the front. I'm going to come over here and see if that helps. Okay. Forgiveness doesn't happen first. When you have a failure, when you have a mistake, when you are injured or wounded by someone or something, forgiveness isn't the first thing that you're supposed to experience immediately after that. In fact, on the handouts for tonight in the resources I'm going to provide for you, there's an entire um, article about the Virginia Tech shooting that happened about four years ago where several students were killed. And in this article, it talks about um, how the administration a day after this happened, they're talking about we're ready to get back to normal and we're ready to kind of move on. And this is a commentary saying, no, that's not how it's supposed to happen. There needs to be an appropriate time to hurt and mourn and grieve. Um, You don't just move past it. So forgiveness doesn't always happen first. It also doesn't happen fast. It takes a while to be able to move into a place where you can sit in an attitude of forgiveness or Um, comfort with your mistakes. It just doesn't happen immediately. It doesn't happen easily. To be able to forgive, especially in some of the videos that we watched last week, we we saw a three-minute version of a 16-year story. 16 years for her to be able to move from losing her son to a place of having relationship with her son's murderer. That's not fast and that is not easy. It took a while to get to that place. Forgiveness does not mean that you forget. It isn't the idea of forgive and forget. You can't forget. Our brains aren't built that way. We're not supposed to say we're going to shut down all of our memory centers. In fact, news today, who died? Famous person who died today? James Brady. Um, For those who are younger in the crowd, he was um, the press secretary for Ronald Reagan. He was shot in the head during Reagan's assassination attempt, ruined his his life, changed his life forever. He just passed away today at 73, I think. Um, One of his comments, I was listening to the article today, he says, I've done my best to forget as much as I can about that day. Now, the human part of me recognizes, I I understand the sentiment of that. It's a tragedy. You don't want to live that experience over and over. But I don't think he was real successful at that. I think that that one day, that one moment changes his life forever. He can't forget. So that's not what forgiveness is. It does not mean that you excuse. 
If you're forgiving someone, you're not giving them a free pass. You're not saying, okay, you're completely off the hook. It doesn't mean that you trust again. You can forgive someone and still not trust them. That might be new information for some people. For some people, that is like, well, then you haven't really forgiven them. Well, maybe. Forgiveness does not mean you are weak. And forgiveness does not mean that you reconcile, that you move back into relationship with someone who has hurt you or wounded you. You are able to forgive somebody and still have healthy, appropriate boundaries, lines, fences. You don't invite them back into your life because that would be foolishness. That would be inappropriate. To forgive, one must remember the past Put it into perspective and move beyond it. Without remembrance, no wounds can be transcended. To help understand the concept of forgiveness, we're going to wrap it up in a story. We're going to put it into a a metaphor here to see if we can kind of dissect what's part of this metaphor as we move through the different stages of forgiveness. Um, Was it Jim? Jim here. We're long, fast friends for the last five minutes, okay? And let's say Jim comes to me and says, Paul, I'm, I'm, I'm hurting for some cash. Would you mind if I borrow some dollars? And so we're going to use money here to kind of talk about this. Um, I tell Jim, sure, how much do you need? He says, I don't need very much this time. I just need a thousand bucks. Okay, that's it. Just a thousand bucks. No problem. I pull my wallet. I'm carrying a thousand dollars in small unmarked bills. I hand it to Jim. Jim now does whatever Jim needs to do with the $1,000. And he tells me, because he wants to maintain a relationship with me, Paul, I will make sure that I pay you back next Monday night when you're here again. Wonderful, Jim. Thank you very much. I hope that it works out. He takes the money. Next Monday, I show up, and Jim comes up to me, or I see Jim, and Jim goes, you know what? I know I owe you $1,000. I I had a couple extra problems here. I'll have it for you next Monday. Because I'm a trusting soul, I go, no problem. Take your time. Next Monday it is. Next Monday comes around. Does Jim have my money? Freeloader? No. Jim does not have my money. Okay? But he's very sorrowful. He's very repentant. Yeah, Paul, I'm really sorry. I'm, 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 I, I know I owe you $1,000. I will get it to you next week. There's only one more week in the series. Last week of the series shows up. Jim still stiffs me. He says, I just don't have the cash. Sorry, not going to happen. Fine. Okay. What's your address? What's your phone number? I need to make sure I get my money back from you. So... Two weeks go by after that, I go to his apartment or his house, knock on the door. Hey, Jim, it's Paul. I know, I know you have, I just, I don't have a thousand bucks. All right. I come back three days later, knock on the door. Where's my money? I don't have it, Paul. Next day, where's my money? Don't have it, Paul. Knock on, next day, don't have it, Paul. After about a month of this and about 19 trips to his house, I knock on the door, no answer. Knock on the door, no answer. Look in the windows, where's Jim? Not hiding, he's gone. Place is empty, okay? Dust bunnies on the floor, he's gone. How much money does Jim owe me? $1,000. That hasn't changed, right? That hasn't changed at all. 
I want my $1,000 back. So I go and I hire a private investigator to do a bunch of research to find out where did Jim go? Find out that he moved to Des Moines, okay? So I get in my car, I drive to Des Moines. There he is living in an apartment, knock on the door, Jim, it's Paul. He looks at me like, what are you doing here? I need my money. His answer is, don't got it. I'll be back tomorrow. Come back tomorrow. He's not there. Show up the third day, he's gone again. Hire the same private investigator. This time he's moved to, you know, Duluth or somewhere like that. He's starting to hop the country. I'm not going to let him get away. He owes me $1,000. And I will be darned if I'm going to let him get away with it. So, I quit my job, and I now make it full-time job to pursue my thousand bucks from Jim. How well is this working out for me? It becomes exhausting, and it ends up costing me more, a lot more than a thousand dollars. So, what would you do? Give me some answers. What would you do? Not what? Not lend it to him in the first place. He's kind of sketchy looking. He's, he's, you're right. I should have had a better character on it. It's the bald hair thing that might have given it away. Something like that. What else would I do? Yep. Get my job back. Because I'm a bozo for quitting my job to pursue a thousand bucks, right? Okay. What else should I do? Yep. Turn it over to collections. There's people I can hire to do that. Okay. Kiss it goodbye. Any other options beyond any of those? Let it go. Let it go. Any more? Trust it will come back to me some other way. It's a down payment. It's kind of the pay it forward yeah. thing. Yeah. Yep. Got it. So he'll get screwed like I got screwed. <laughs> In the karma sort of way. That's right. Any other suggestions? Yes. Ask him what's wrong and why he can't. In fact, I'm a counselor. I might be able to help kind of figure out the root of his avoidant behavior. Give him a diagnosis. Yeah, and I could charge him for my sessions. In fact, I know he's got a thousand bucks. That's a couple sessions. Yes. Yeah. Only give away what I'm what I can afford to lose. Now there, that's not a bad idea. Okay. Wow, lots of good ideas. Yes. Yes, I could have had a written contract that I show him through the window, as I'm saying. By the way, here's your signature right here. You owe me. Any other man? This is. <laughs> Say that again. Tell them I'm um, strapped for cash myself because I got a new business. Yes. All right. One more. All right. So see if I can get services back. Got it from Duluth. That might work out. This isn't quite as easy as we'd like it to be because we get into this mode of we want to fix it. We want to figure out how to make the scales balance in some way, right? And it's like, we got to be able to do something. In all of those suggestions, who's working harder, me or Jim? Jim. 
I'm tired just listening to suggestions. I'm not sure I'm going to take any of your advice because it just makes me really, really tired. Here's the dilemma. And this is what we're going to use as we go through the forgiveness piece. To, to be able to move through forgiveness, we have to be able to identify the injury and, it is, and its impact. What is the injury in my story? I'm out of $1,000. It's not $500 and it's not $10,000. It's, it's a very set amount. The, the wound is very, very clear. The injury is very clear. And is it appropriate for me to say, I have been, I've lost $1,000? Does that make me mean? No. Does it make me mean? Does it make me selfish? No. Okay. Let's change the scenario just a little bit. Let's say you are um, dating somebody and you find out that they have been um, cheating on you. What is the injury? Cheating all way. Hold on a second. What was it again? Betrayal. Betrayal? What's the wound? Yep, see if you can be more specific about the injury. Betrayal's good. Lost trust. Disrespect. Those are the consequences of all of it. The injury is, you have been unfaithful. You have cheated on me. That's just the basics of, that's the injury. And, and, and especially in emotional wounds, we actually have a hard, harder time saying, you did something wrong. Because so many times, well... If you were the person who was caught stepping out, what would be some excuses you could possibly throw back on this side? Were you really cheating? No, I was just helping with a flat tire. I was, they're a friend. I'm hanging out. Picture every um, uh, romantic comedy. Okay, This is just all the excuses that play in there. So there's lots of excuses, lots of justification, lots of all those things, right? Which now makes it almost a little crazy inside because here's the person going, you cheated on me, trying to identify the injury, and now there's this debate. My example is pretty easy. A thousand bucks, especially if we had a contract. Okay, that would have been, you know, but a thousand dollars is a thousand dollars. See if you can identify the injury and it is and its impact on your life. I want you to think through something, some way that you have potentially been wronged and you're having a hard time getting past it. You're having a hard time letting it go. Okay? Again, your stories are unique. Don't raise your hands. I don't want to know. This is your story. But see if you can be very, very specific about what the injury is. Sometimes that's hard to do. Let's take this apart a little bit. To forgive someone, you must know what you are forgiving. If it's ambiguous, then what do I need to forgive? What do I need to let go? You're a jerk. Uh, I don't know if I can forgive you for being a jerk. That's a little bit... No, I can forgive you for a behavior. I can for, forgive you for a choice. So as specific as you can is incredibly important in the beginning process of learning how to forgive. What is the impact of the injury? What does it cost you and how has it affected you? How is someone cheating on you? How does it affect you? We can go back to the intimate injuries we talked about last week. Family members, um, parents... When they mess up, they tend to have profound effects on you long term. Your perspective of life, perspective of trust, all those things. 
Think of it in a physical injury as well. So, how did it happen? Okay? I fell down the stairs. How bad is it? I've got a broken femur, and it's going to need um, uh, reconstructive surgery with pins and bars and everything else like that. Can I do anything about it? Yeah, I can have surgery. How long will it last? How long does the bone heal? Six months for that massive kind of injury. How will it affect me long term? I might have a limp. I might not be able to run in the marathon. I might not be able to water ski. I might not be able to... What are the effects of it? Change this word to emotional injury and ask the same questions. How did it happen? My boyfriend cheated on me. How bad is it? We've been dating for a year. We were planning on getting married. That's pretty bad. Can I do anything about it? This is the third time I've caught him doing that. Yes, there might be something I can do about that. How long will it last? How long will that injury last? Well, I don't know if I'm going to feel real comfortable dating again for a while. And then how will it affect me long term? Actually, that answer is probably better for the last one. How long will it last? I'm going to be hurting for months because of the betrayal. I'm going to be hurting for a long time because of the betrayal. These are important questions to ask about when you are injured. The more you understand the injury, the better you will be able to treat it. That's, a, that's an incredibly important thing. The more detailed you are, the more specific you are. It's like, okay, now I can do specific activities, actions, behaviors that will actually take care of that, that, that wound that would be different if I was wounded in a different way. So if you can be very specific about how, it actually, how the wound actually hurt you, you'll actually heal a little bit more thoroughly through it. And this one, this one's hard for some people. Talking it out. Here's your options. Talk it out with the one who hurt you. That would be the ideal situation. You have taken $1,000 from me, and I need to let you know that it, it cost me. Here's what I can't buy. Here's what I can't do. Here's the impact it has because you just took $1,000 from me. If you cannot, if it is unsafe or unwise to talk it out with the person who actually wounded you, then you need to talk it out with somebody else. It is incredibly... I, I'm a counselor. I have a whole job around talking with people. And the bad news is I'm not exactly sure why it works. It just does. When you're able to get it out of your head, when you're able to hear in, uh, responses from other people, actually I have some ideas. Empathy is an incredibly, incredibly, incredibly powerful tool. When you have the person who hurt you, when you have the person genuinely show, show sorrow and hurt because you are hurt, that is cathartic in ways that you just can't imagine. If they can't offer it to you, talking it out with someone else, a friend, a parent, a spouse, Someone else who can listen and go, I hurt because you hurt. If you don't have someone like that, especially because the issue is too overwhelming, if the issue is um, too personal, too vulnerable, too delicate, that is when individuals like myself who, who are trained to know what to do with specific situations, with specific information. Um, I have some clients who when they come and they tell me their story for the very first time and I don't get up and kick them out of the office or I don't run away 
they are genuinely surprised because they truly believe that their story is so overwhelming that nobody can sit in their story. And just the fact that I can sit with them and hear their story and hear their story, not just tolerate their story, but actually listen. When you can offer that to another human being, there is very little thing other than that which is so transformative in someone else's life. It is, it is powerful. By the way, for those who are considering counseling of some sort or have done counseling or are going to need counseling, um, you pay a counselor for their training, you get their empathy for free. As a human being, if they don't have a whole lot of empathy, they shouldn't be a counselor. They just shouldn't be. So if you are needing counseling or looking for counseling, find the person that you can sit with who actually listens to you and connects as, as a human being to a human being in the same room. You're paying for their training. You're paying for the, for the therapeutic approaches they, they take. That, that's worth good money. Okay? You don't pay someone for their heart. You get that for free. Talking it out, really, really important. Step two, you have to make the injury your own. You have to give up trying to pretend that nothing happened. It's always interesting to me, the clients who come in and they have some pretty significant stories and you ask them a detail about it and they go, the answer is nothing, you know? What happened? Nothing. How are you feeling? Fine. Those kinds of general answers, again, because I'm smart, I tend to so I bet you there's more behind that, okay? Those are answers that keep people safe because they don't want to be exposed. They don't want to be vulnerable. They don't want to have too much information put out too fast, and so it's usually discomfort. So I usually ask the question, do you genuinely not know? Because sometimes that's the case. Or do you know and you're not ready to tell me yet? And I try to have them distinguish the difference, okay? Um, you give up trying to pretend that nothing happened. If you've been injured, if you've been hurt, you have, to, you have to identify what that is without trying to sweep it under the rug. And you have to realize that what happened just can't be undone. There's something called magical thinking. Magical thinking is actually part of the developmental process for children, for um, boys and girls. Um, I usually think of it around 13 years old, especially for girls. That's when they are drawing in their notebook and, and imagining that they're going to be the next Mrs. Justin Bieber, okay, because he's so cool. And they just know that they're going to get married, even though she's never met him, they, he doesn't know she exists. All the, but it's this always idea of something amazing is going to happen, but there's no connectors between that happening. It's just going to be magic how it happens. So magical thinking, magical thinking is everything's going to be okay or everything's going to be the same. And that unfortunately is not the case. What has happened cannot be undone. There is no time machine. You can't rewind the clock and go back. I'm working on it. I almost had it once, but I, I lost it. So... And then you have to come to terms with the fact that life is now different. You do not get to continue living out the timeline that you were heading on in the past. 
your world will be permanently different. Here's a great one. You make it your own when you stop comparing yourself to other people. I hear this all the time. It's usually the, I don't want to get too close to the injury. I don't want to have what happened to me um, too personal. So I'm going to actually look at or focus on everyone else and kind of what they are thinking and feeling and, and the injuries that they, that they have happened to them. So this is an incredibly effective tool to keep people safe. They think that they're safe, but they're actually not very safe. They go, yes, I realized that, that I was molested as a child and I was taken away from my family and I was put into a foster system and, and those six years in the foster system were, were hell because I moved around once a year and I didn't have any stability in my life and I didn't know what was going on and I was having flashbacks and I was having somatic memories and it was really bad. But there's so many people who have it much worse than me. And so let's talk about them. And as a counselor, it's my, my responsibility, it's my privilege actually to say, yes, there are other people who are injured, but they're not in the room. You're in the room. So let's talk about your story. And let's, let's see the impact and the consequences for your story. I also play it played out in more concrete terms. If I were to ask you to stand up and I take your pinky and I go and break it over here like that, would you volunteer for that? Please don't say yes. Yes, how much money? I already gave away a thousand bucks, so I'm out, I'm out of my pocket money, sorry. That would hurt, right? You take that, that injury compared to a broken arm, okay? Which one is worse? Everyone says the arm, okay? Do you want to volunteer to have your pinky broken? It still hurts. And so the idea of saying, because someone else has a bigger injury than mine, I shouldn't hurt, that just doesn't make any sense when you think about it physically, logically. It, it just doesn't play out. So yes, there's always different, different um, grades of pain and injury, but we're not going to minimize the injury that you are sitting in. And that can, that can take some practice, especially for people who are really good at dismissing and pushing away their own pain. It isn't helpful, but it is... It's very um, soothing sometimes, comparing yourself to others. Um, oh, here's some minimiz minimization. That's hard to say. Minimization, which is unhelpful ownership. So it wasn't that bad. Other people have been hurt worse. I'm just overreacting. Here we go. Here's a should statement. I should just be stronger. If I was stronger, I wouldn't hurt. If I was stronger, this pinky breaking it, it wouldn't hurt. Doesn't make sense, does it? That's what minimization sounds like. <sighs> Here's a tricky one. Let the injury become part of your story. It helps you look forward and not backward. I love the idea of scars. When you have an injury and then it weaves itself back together and there is a permanent mark. I have one on my hand here. I got a couple, you know, from other really good stories. When I was a kid, there was a really, there was a brick wall about this high and I went to jump up on it and my foot slipped and my shin caught the edge of the sharp bricks all the way down from my ankle to here. It peeled my skin all the way off. 
my shin. Left a good scar. It's nasty. We have scars all the time. Scars are things that say they're now part of my story. I just used it. I didn't know when I ripped the skin off my shin I was going to be using it in 2014 talking to some people in Portland. Just never had that idea. But now it's a part of my story. I got another story about a washing machine and the scar on my wrist. We all have scars. When we let them shape our histories rather than trying to avoid them or ignore them, it helps us look forward, not backwards. We don't get defined by it. Here's the problem. You've seen, you ever seen someone who's been significantly um, scarred by, oftentimes I think of like a burning injury, so their skin is, is fairly disfigured like that, and they try to hide it or they try to mask it in some way? Sometimes you just can't hide the scars. Sometimes they're just too extensive and people know about them when you walk in the room. Sometimes it happens with emotional issues as well. It just happens. Let it become part of your story. Saying things like, I wish it never happened, or this should never have, been, this should never have happened in the first place, again, that keeps you stuck way back here. It shouldn't have happened. It shouldn't have happened. But it did. But it shouldn't have. But it did. But it shouldn't have. You're right. But it did. I know. But it shouldn't have. We can go round and round. Step three. Here's the trickier one. There has to be a responsible party. Think about that. For there to be an injury, there has to be an injurer. If no one is responsible for the injury, then there is no one to forgive. And forgiveness is a non-issue. If we think we blame someone, we somehow consider ourselves better than that person. This is the reason why very often we have a hard time pointing the finger this is the healthy part of blame. This is the healthy, appropriate part that says, I have been injured, you have injured me, and I'm very clear on those facts. I'm not confused about that. When I say that, gut feelings. Does anyone feel any resistance to that? Is there any kind of pushback on that at all? What's it feel like knowing you should blame someone? Okay. Trying to keep away from black and white thinking. If you just blame them, it's black and white, and you don't always want it to be that way. Why? Why don't you like it that way? Because counselors tell you it's not healthy. Because <laughs> it feels intentional. It feels intentional. It's not Christian. Because it's not Christian. What if it is intentional? Is, why is that wrong? Yeah, it feels it feels more wrong, but it's hard to find some why. It's hard hard to find because the. They're acting against you. They're, they're acting against you. Yeah, yeah, they are. 
Say that again? You should have known better. Really? That's how it feels. That's how it feels, okay? We could talk about that one for a while. Way in the back, and I'll come back to you. It's easier to do that if the person that you're talking to actually accepts the blame. It's easier to do it if that person that you're blaming says, yep, you're right, that was my fault. How often does that happen? Not often. Not often. What do you usually get in response? Well, anger. Anger? What else? It gets flipped on you. Somehow it's your fault now. Turns into a joke. Turn- I, was, I was just kidding. Oh, man, it gets totally dismissed and invalidated by just kidding, <coughs> which implies you're too soft. You took it personally. There's something wrong with you. Man. A lot of good reasons why you wouldn't want to blame someone if you know that it's going to get turned around and you're going to get accused back. That stinks. Mm-hmm. Man. What were you going to say? Makes it real and messes up your expectations of what should happen. Yes, it does make it real. You I can have to rewrite your scripts. You have to rewrite your scripts. Man, some of you have done some work in here, I can tell. <laughs> Who owes me $1,000? Jim. This is Jim, by the way. Jim, raise your hand. That's him, okay? <laughs> That's right. We're going to take an offering at the end to help Jim out. <laughs> Um, who did wrong in this, inter- in this interchange? Me or Jim? Jim. How many of you, well, there was an answer earlier before that says, I should have known better in the first place. I shouldn't have loaned him money in the first place, right? Yeah. Wow, there's a familiar script. That's kind of the, it might be my fault somehow. And again, that gets worked into our psyche, into our stories, because sometimes we hear that all the time. Jim looks like a nice guy. I mean, he looks very trusting. I went out on a limb, and I, and I tried, and I got burned. Stinks. But who burned me? Jim. I'm sorry, give me your name one more time. Tamson. Tamson. We're going to say hi to Tamson next week, and I want you to shun Jim next week, okay? <laughs> Don't talk to him. Freeloader. Responsibility is confused with motivation. If we say Jim is responsible, then it confuses what is our motivation or, or, or we question his motivation in his actions, okay? Was he evil? Was he deceptive? Was he ignorant? Was he foolish? We get all that confused. I don't care about the motivation. The reality of the situation is, is I'm out $1,000 and it's his fault because he didn't pay me back. He didn't follow through on his promises. And all of those motivations could be very true because we could, we could weave all sorts of really good stories. He borrows $1,000 and then his mother dies and he needs to get a plane ticket to somewhere. Would that be more understandable? Yes. Who's out $1,000? Still. So there's a good motivation or he can just blatantly say, I don't want to pay you back because it's nice having some, or I'd burn through the money, you know, playing poker. And he's not very good like I was. And he just lost the money. So responsibility gets confused with motivation. Here's some rationalizations and justifications that we hear all the time. They didn't mean to hurt me. They didn't know what to do. 
They tried their best or they were hurt as well. Oftentimes I hear this in regards to relationships with parents. By the way, here's just a quick little freebie. A lot of people actually are resistant to counseling because they think, you're just going to make me come in and, and tell me that it's all my parents' fault. Any counselor who tells you that, don't go see, okay? We are all made up of many, many more experiences than just our parenting. We have our own choices. We have our own personality. We have our genetics. We have our parenting experiences. We have lots and lots of things that make us up. The reality, though, is parents do have a greater proportion of influence on children because of the, the developmental stages that kids are going through. And so there is some responsibility. And I'm a parent of four, okay? I will fully and completely own my responsibility for messing up my kids, okay? Just it's, it's going to happen. So parents have responsibility, and sometimes parents can make some unbelievably cruel choices to their children, but that's not the only thing that makes up who we are. I felt I just needed to say that. You're standing on a corner. You are waiting to um, run the Boston Marathon. You have been training for three years to go to the Boston Marathon. And finally, you bought a plane ticket. You went back there a week early. You're going to tour the town. You're going to take out or check out the, the running route. You're going to see the sights. You're going to do all sorts of cool things. And while you are standing on the corner looking at the sights, a big city bus comes around the corner, jumps the curb, runs you over. You're now laying behind the bus Broken femur, broken femur, collapsed lung, ruptured spleen. Bus driver gets out of the bus, runs back, runs back to the back of the bus and says, oh my gosh, are you okay? Dumbest question in the world. You go, no, I'm not okay. He goes, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. There was a bee flying around inside the cabin, and I am deathly allergic. I'll go into anaphylactic shock, and I was trying to swat the bee, and I lost control. It jumped. I'm, I am sorry, truly sorry. I feel really bad. You now go, that makes sense. I understand. I feel better. I'm going to get up and run the Boston Marathon now. Does it work that way? No. Same bus driver, same bus, same corner. You're laying behind it. Bus driver gets out of the bus, walks back to the back of the bus where you're laying there. This time he does one of these. Whoa, bummer, man. That sucks. Dude, are you okay? Now what do you think? What's the bus driver's responsibility in that? What? <laughs> Might make you feel better. Yeah. He was irresponsible. He was neglectful, actually. Um, legally. All sorts of ways. Um, now that you understand why that happened, do you go, oh, I understand now. So you get up and you walk away because you're all better. Doesn't happen. Last scenario. Same bus, same corner, same Boston Marathon. Bus jumps the corner, you're laying there, and the bus driver doesn't come off at all. Just doesn't come off. Ambulance shows up, second ambulance shows up. You have a 
team of EMTs come and attend to you and a team of EMTs run onto the bus where they're treating him because he had a heart attack. Now what do you feel? Now it's an accident. Now that you understand, how do you feel? Are you able to get up and so, okay, man, he had a heart attack. That's terrible. And he gets up. Did you, are you able to get up and, and be healed? No. There are reasons and justified actions. Sometimes they're good and sometimes they're accidents. Sometimes they're not. But they, and we play these. Okay, they didn't mean to hurt me. The bus driver didn't mean to hurt me. He had a heart attack. They didn't know what to do. He could have been a new bus driver. Doesn't know how to turn the wheel. He tried his best. It was a B. And they were hurt as well. Unfortunately, the consequences still remain the same. You are still injured. And you have to be able to just acknowledge that fact. Which, again, gets confusing because you can still be dramatically injured even though someone does not intend it. They don't want to hurt you, but they do hurt you. When we can't blame the person who injured us, we usually blame ourselves. This is the part of our humanity that says we need a reason. We want to know why. And so if we can't blame somebody else, there's only one other person in the room, right? And so we put that back on ourselves. It must have been something I did. I must have been foolish to loan money to Jim. I must have been foolish to even try in the first place. Why in the world did I even do that? And so we blame ourselves when we aren't willing to put the responsibility on somebody else. And then the reality is a person of low self-worth is more likely to blame themselves for a failure than a person of high self-worth. If you already think pretty low of yourself, if you already think that you don't have a lot of value, then you actually have a harder time being able to put responsibility on people who have legitimately injured you. You tend to own even more of that, which doesn't help your low sense of self-worth. It doesn't help it at all. Children have a hard time blaming their parents for wrongdoing until they are adults because ideas like intentionality or wrongness may be too hard for children to grasp. Kids actually believe that parents are God-like. They actually believe that they know everything and can control everything. And there's a developmental stage when the kids wake up one day and they actually realize, oh my gosh, my parents aren't perfect and they don't control everything. Usually that's just before adolescence. And then they go, <laughs> they don't control everything. Watch this. Watch what I'm going to do. And then they really try to figure out what they have power and control over. And that's, that's this whole adolescent craziness that happens. Um, kids, when they endure pain from their family, family members, they, they simply, God, okay, this God-like person can't be the person who's wrong. It must be my fault. And then they believe that so that gets rooted and cemented into their psyche so that they grow up even into adult men and women and they go, I, I know for a fact, I absolutely believe that this is true. It was my fault that I was molested at some certain age or that I wasn't good enough or it was my fault that the family broke up or, 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 or. And they are convinced because it feels true because they're still believing through children's eyes. What's even funnier, funny in a strange, tragic sort of way, not funny, ha-ha, 
is you can take these individuals and you can take the exact same scenario, the exact same truth that they believe, and you can put it into someone else's story. So, little girls deserve to be um, molested and treated poorly like this, okay? Your, your niece, your daughter, your people, oh, no, 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 no. Well, why not? Because they're valuable and they're precious and all those things. But it happened to you. Well, I'm different. Back to that magical thinking again. It doesn't apply to me in some way. Somehow I am different or special. And learning how to counter those lies. And again, those lies are there to keep us safe because we can't actually somehow put the blame on the person that is actually responsible because it rattles our world in, in, in big, big ways. This is why forgiveness is hard. Okay, it's not easy. Did I mention that at the beginning? It doesn't happen fast. It doesn't, isn't easy. Because it challenges some deep, deep, visceral, visceral beliefs. Yeah? This is important then to make the distinction. Putting responsibility on someone does not mean that we vilify them. We're not making them a bad person, but the reality is, is you did not have any other father. And there are certain things that fathers need to provide for their daughters, for a daughter to grow up in a, in a healthy, emotional kind of relational way, right? And you're absolutely right. Dad, because of his story, did not have the skills or the ability to offer that to you. I, I believe that. Nor do I think that he's a bad person because of that. I'm not going to vilify him. But nobody else was given that responsibility for you. Does that make sense? And so, in, in essence, there are two wounded people. But there's two wounded people. They both need to be cared for. And there's probably no better reason to do your own work to say, here is, here is someone else in my life that needs something from me and what they need is appropriate, valid, understandable, and I don't have the skills or the ability or the comfort level to do that. I should probably learn how to do that. 
and you stretch yourself and you grow yourself and you step into those places that are profoundly, profoundly uncomfortable. But you do it because this person needs to have it. It is not easy as I sit with my daughter and she tells me, Dad, you hurt my feelings. We had that this week. I'm not supposed to tell you that. I'm the speaker. I'm supposed to have it all together. My daughter this week right now can tell you how I hurt her feelings, and it is not comfortable to hear that. And it is still my responsibility to go, this is uncomfortable. I don't like knowing that I screwed up, and I get to come before her, and I get to say, tell me more. How did I hurt you? And I hear that. That's not natural, especially for dudes. We don't like that. It has to do with feelings. But is she worth it? Everyone in the other head, yes, my daughter is worth this. <laughs> She's very worth this. And I will become, I'll, I often tell the example of if I was walking down the street and um, my kids or my wife were with me and a guy jumps out with a two by four and he's ready to take a swing at my kids. For those who are fathers in the room, what do we instinctively do with our children if someone's about to hurt them? What do we do? How? There you go. Throw them behind you. There's just this natural, it's like reflex. As soon as you have kids and you're, you're now a parent, your arm actually naturally just does this, and you're willing to take a two-by-four to the chest to protect them. I don't have to be trained to do that. That is hurtful. That is painful, right? And I will do it over and over and over again if I have to to protect my children. So why won't I step into the emotional two-by-four? This is hard, talking about feelings and empathy and listening. That is hard and uncomfortable, and I feel vulnerable, and I don't know how to do it real well. But I will sit and do it, and it's like a two-by-four, trying to figure out how to listen and empathize with, my, with the women in my life, my wife and my daughter. But it is worth the pain. It is worth the struggle. Because they now know and learn they are valuable, and they are worth being inconvenienced for, uncomfortable for. By the way, I know some of you, this whole concept is like stripping gears because you're going, what? That's how families can be? That's how relationships can be? That is so weird. that It's like talking a whole other language because the amount of feelings that you heard were shut up, get out of my face, leave me alone, or worse. That's the level of feelings that you heard. Okay? It can be different. You had a question? How do you separate someone's actions from their character? Because you said, you know, you're not making character Right. Um, you're just saying your physical actions could then matter. So how do you, I feel like those would be together a lot. Yeah. Are there any other questions that I can answer? <laughs> um, that's, it's... I don't think there's a formula. I don't think there's a step A, step B, step C, because on one hand, people's character is reflected in their actions and their behaviors, right? And yet, sometimes we are still growing and struggling, and we aren't perfect yet, and we still struggle, stumble and make mistakes and have failures, even though our intentions are good, right? So where does the grace and responsibility get balanced out? 
Um, I'm trying to think of a fast, easy answer, and I'm going to fail miserably. Can I come back to it? Not because I'm trying to blow you off, but because I just want to make sure I can responsibly get through as much of this as possible. Um, that's a very good question, and, and I have a longer answer, but I'm going to totally dodge it. Okay? Um, so, let's keep going through here. After we've identified the responsible party because, and we've made the injury our own, and we can clearly and articulately identify what the injury is, then we have to start balancing the accounts. What that means is nothing more needs to be known, now something needs to be done. You're able to say, this is the injury, this is the person who injured me, this is what it's going to cost me. I have all the information. I don't need to keep gathering information. I don't have to spend time figuring out why. I don't have to spend, out, spend time figuring out how. I don't, I don't worry about motivation. I don't worry about trying to figure it out anymore. I simply say, this has happened, and this is reality. And now, I'm able to do something about it. And forgiveness is an active process. Again, the purpose is to move forward towards strength, not more information. It's time to consider the injury over. Now, this is, this is a little trickier, but wounds heal. Did you know that? It's a fascinating concept. It is probably one of the coolest things about us as human beings is we heal. We don't stay broken. We just don't stay messed up. It's really, really nice. Imagine if you have a car like that. I could show the, there's a BMW concept car called the Gina. Um, fabric skin. It actually has framework underneath that moves as you're driving, so the fenders flare out and the headrests come up out of the body. It's creepy and cool all at the same time. And as I was watching this thing, because it's so organic, there's no seams in it. It's just it, the doors bend and it looks like skin. And it's just, it's really fascinating. And I said, this thing is so human-like. What if they made this fabric that actually healed itself? So when you got a tear in it or you got a scratch in it, um, it would weave itself back together. If that were the case, how would you drive that car? How would you drive it? Recklessly. Let's, let's maybe not go recklessly. Let's say we wouldn't worry about it, right? Why? Because it's going it. to fix itself. Did you know that that's what we do? We get injured. We get broken. And we don't have to do anything for our skin to start weaving itself back together. For bones to start to mend. Isn't that just a truly amazing concept? And because that's true, we should be able to live our lives with freedom, recklessly. That's why I don't like the word, because I don't want you to, I don't, you didn't hear the guy up front say live recklessly, okay? I'm not saying that, okay? I want you to live with freedom. I want you not to worry. I want you to go, I plan on getting hurt, and I know I'm not going to stay busted. I know I'm not going to stay that way. And so I will let myself get hurt, and I will heal. This is the gift of forgiveness. It is profound. I got burned. I lost $1,000. I'll earn it back. I will let that go. I'm not going to waste my time and energy and effort pursuing it. I'm just going to count it as lost, 
and now move into a place that says, Jim doesn't owe me. You're free. You do not have to repay the debt. I'm tired of trying to collect on it. That's not for his benefit. Whose benefit is it for? Mine. It's wonderful. Did I mention it's not easy? Because a thousand bucks is a thousand bucks. Or your trust, or your innocence, or your family, or your relationship are precious. I'm not minimizing that. But we lose those things and we heal from those things. It's just wonderful. When we move on, it's actually time for boundaries. How wise would it be for me to loan Jim $1,000 again? Dumb. Okay, fool me once, shame on me. Shame on you, sorry, I'll get it right. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. It's sort of that concept. It is, he now has a track record of being unfaithful or irresponsible, and I'm no longer going to go into this relationship or this interaction blindly anymore. I will, I will go in knowing more information. And so, would I loan you $1,000? Of course. You have a very trusting face. Yes. I'm going to get an IOU, I'm going to get a contract, and I'm going to get something, you know. I can actually be smarter and as I loan money because I got burned one time. It's like, okay, is that going to be wise? Is that going to be smart? What things do I want to put in place before I loan that out? There is a good principle of, is that money that I can afford to lose? Because if that's my rent money, that actually might be more irresponsible than helpful for him. And I might not want to do that. So there's those things. Time for boundaries. Boundaries are really, really good. Come on. Time for consequences. When somebody injures you, it is appropriate to have consequences. They don't get a get-out-of-jail-free card. In fact, sometimes the consequences is incarceration, or it is time away, or it is small claims court, or it is, or it is, or it is. There are consequences to injuries and when someone fails you. You don't let them off the hook for that. But you also don't have to spend your energy and time trying to collect. We had a collections suggestion in the back. That's actually a fantastic idea. Because if Jim owes me $1,000 instead of me quitting my job and pursuing him and trying to figure out how to get my money back, I'm going to hire a collections agency. This collections agency, they know where he lives 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. They know where he sleeps. They know everything about him. And they will bother him and pursue him and harass him until, until he is ready to pay. Okay? It's not my job to have to get things right with him. I'm going to let God pursue him. I'm going to let God convict him. I'm going to let God speak into his life. Okay? By the way, and this is actually kind of a harder concept. We could spend a whole evening on this. For the person who did injure me, he legitimately owes me $1,000. And he now repents and he gets off, okay? He doesn't have to pay the consequences because somebody else forgives him. Sometimes we have a really hard time with that, right? 
It's like, no, 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 no. We demand justice. We want, we want something to be made right in some way. And sometimes we don't get that. That's a harder place to sit. But sometimes that's the reality of the world we live in. Choosing to forgive. This is the how to balance the accounts. You get to make the choice to release the offender from the debt. You get to make the choice. I now come to a decision, a place in my mind that says, I no longer am going to wake up and, ha- and demand that Jim owes me this $1,000. Today, it's done. That is a choice. I'm not sure the feelings follow along with that yet, but it's a choice. I make the choice to cut the bonds that connect you to the offender. Again, I'm not going to keep chasing them down. The bonds are cut. Choice. And we make the choice to look ahead, not back. I lost $1,000. How am I going to make another $1,000? What am I going to do? And that is a choice again. The feelings don't often follow right away. It is a choice. It is a logical, cognitive decision. Not always easy. It's all in the same order of, I choose to pay my taxes. I'm not sure there's a lot of joy writing that check. I'm sending them off to the government. But it's a choice, because it's better than sleeping in the pokey. Choose to expect that no debt can be repaid. This is what forgiveness is. It is saying that no debt is going to make... How do I want to put this? This doesn't happen just once in one situation and you just have to learn how to forgive one time. You're going to get offended over and over and over and over. And there are some people who spend their entire life going, I got to get the scales balanced. And then there are other people who are going, all of these debts, I'm just, I'm going to have to endure. I'm going to learn how to live with this disappointment and that no debts can be repaid. And I just move on. I trust that I will have enough, enough emotional strength, enough, enough resiliency, enough good relationships, all those things. To release another from debt doesn't mean that they were right and you were wrong. It only means that even though you were right and they hurt you, you do not want or need them to pay you back. Forgiveness is not saying right or wrongness. It's not what it does. It doesn't worry about that. And forgiveness is freeing up and putting to better use the energy once consumed by holding grudges, harboring resentment, and nursing unhealed wounds. It takes energy to do this. It takes a lot of energy to do this. Use that energy in a different way. It's truly amazing. Big question. How do we forgive ourselves? We've spent the whole evening talking about if somebody else hurts us. We've spent the whole evening doing that. Is this easier or harder, do you think? Why? Give me some theories real fast. Why is it harder? You have to live with yourself. 
Okay? You can't get away from the perpetrator. There isn't any of those whole boundary things unless you become schizophrenic. Then it's a really interesting scenario. Why else? Yep. I'm sorry. Louder. We hold ourselves to higher standards. Back to those, the rules don't apply to me. They apply to other people, but I'm somehow different. Yeah. Well, it is your fault. It is your fault, yes. If you screwed up. One more time. There is a lot about ourselves we don't see. We, don't, we haven't always seen how we injured ourselves. We don't always see how we injure ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. We oftentimes have more information on ourselves than we have about other people, too. That really messes things up. Any other guesses why this is harder? Yep. We can't believe we got ourselves into the same situation again. Did I hear that right? Here I am. Again, for the 19th time this week. Can't believe it. How did I do this? Yeah. I'm guessing it's about me or time for that. Sorry, the thing was noisy. One more time. Survival lies. Survival lies? Or that I have about, about myself. Okay. Or connected to that. Yes. Survival lies are connected. Here's how we move through this. Back to the same basic concepts. Realize that what has happened cannot be undone. You are permanently shaped by the choices you have made. And you get to live with those consequences. You just can't help it. You have to take responsibility for your past actions. You have to acknowledge and Acknowledging and hurting over the pain caused. It's actually very similar to the process of forgiving somebody else. You say, yes, I take responsibility. In fact, this is actually better news because didn't we like to hear someone back there said, if we confront someone, wouldn't it be nice if they say, you're right, I totally did that, I'm so sorry, I take full responsibility. We would like to hear that. And we actually get to offer that to ourselves. You messed up again. You're right. I totally messed up. Your accusation is correct. I did make this mistake. No denying it. We should go, ah, oh, thank you. Yes, okay. Now we can do something about it. Pay the appropriate consequence. Big fat word there, appropriate. This is where forgiving ourselves becomes incredibly difficult or hard because we don't always give ourselves appropriate consequences. We like to say, you messed up. And then we remind ourselves the next day, you messed up. And we remind ourselves the next day and the next week and the next month and the next year, you messed up two years ago. Do you remember that? There are consequences for our mistakes. Yes, take responsibility for those. But rarely do we give them appropriately. It's okay to say, you messed up. You've paid the price. You've, you've paid the consequence. This is now all better. The injury is healed. You no longer need to accuse yourself. You're done. You are free. It even gets harder when you have a hurt someone else and they want to keep reminding you. Remember three years ago? Remember when you did this? 
I'm going to suggest to you that it was appropriate, and again, given the circumstances, they all change, but it might be appropriate for you to look at them and go, you're right, I hurt you, and I am now done with that. I don't need to apologize anymore. How would that feel? Again, there might be some resistance to that. That's like, whoa, you're allowed to say that? Yep. I did hurt you. I don't need to continue to be punished. I'm done. I trust that you are going to heal. In fact, that's the next one or somewhere in here. Oh, we'll come back to that one real fast. Trust equals letting go of control. You let go of control that those who are hurt are responsible for their own reactions and that they will heal. That's just a profound concept. I hurt you. I know that I hurt you. I take responsibility for that. I'm done taking responsibility for that. It's been three years. You have the opportunity to heal. I trust that you're going to do that. We don't hear this very often, do we? We hear the, you got to keep paying. you got to keep taking responsibility. No. Appropriate consequences for ourselves. Be kind to yourselves. Don't continue to accuse and, 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 and condemn Let's go back to that real fast. There's condemnation versus conviction. Put it into, into judicial terms, okay? Courtroom. Someone who's been condemned. What does that mean? What is it? Found guilty. Found guilty? Is it just that? Because isn't conviction found guilty as well? Sentenced. Sentenced versus... Conviction, that's your, if you have a conviction against you. Condemnation usually means putting down. It's almost like a death penalty. You are condemned. Not all mistakes that we do require condemnation. Many, in fact, all require some sort of conviction. Here's the injury, here's the sentence. Pay it, you are now free. And you're released, and you move on, and you're not defined by that. We have a hard time forgiving ourselves because we go into this condemnation stage. You need to be condemned. You are bad because you made that mistake. Shame messages. You're identified, this is your value. You are condemned. It's not true. Understand that I no longer owe that person anything. I'm incapable of repaying the debt. That's, we've been saying that. There's unhelpful practice. When they do not expect repayment, I will remind them of the debt. Oh man, we do that a lot. I hurt you, and they go, yes, we're okay. Let's get over it. We'll we'll be okay. Yeah, but I hurt you. I know, let it go. Okay, by the way, I'm sorry I hurt you. Um, can you forgive me? I did, like three weeks ago. Let it go. Thanks for forgiving me. I'm sorry. I hurt you. (sighs) Let it go. Don't do that. That's the technique. Just stop. What did you learn from the mistake? Did you find value in the experience? Do not expect the relationship to be the same. Let's come back to this real fast. 
Mistakes, this is what it is. Did, it let you, did you let it change you? Did you find value in the experience? And do not expect the relationship to be the same. That is really, really helpful. I hurt you, I take responsibility, and I know things are not gonna be the same. I don't expect them to be. But the new stage we are in, it is actually can be good and survivable and almost even better. It can be that way, but it's not gonna be the same. All right, holy smokes. The whole time management thing, I'm not very good at. It is 8.40. I really wanted to get to this. There's some good stuff in here. It's 8.40. Do you guys have six minutes to give, so I can give you a teaser? Would that be okay? Or should we just wrap it up and be done? Teaser? His name is Horatio Spafford. Anyone know the name? One, two, okay. Horatio Spafford. Lived in the late 1800s. Here's his story. In 1870, his son, his only son, died of scarlet fever. In 1871, he lost most of his financial stability in the great Chicago fire. He lost, he was a lawyer, and he was invested heavily into the property and the real estate. And when the, when the fire came rolling through, um, he lost all of his financial stability, all of his wealth. Whatever he had left, the economic downturn of 1873 after the Chicago fire took the rest of his money. And so with almost nothing, he said, our family needs to just take care of itself. We need to just, you know, kind of get out of all this crappy stuff. And so they decided to board uh, a boat and take him and his four girls to Europe to just kind of relax. On the way to the boat, he was called away with business, and so he decided to send his family on ahead. And on the crossing, the boat was struck by another boat, and all four of his daughters died. There was a famous telegram that he received. This is actually it. This is from his wife. It says, saved alone. What shall I do? Mrs. Goodwin, children, Willie, someone, lost. His family. His wife was found floating on a piece of driftwood by the boat that ran into them and she was saved. Everyone else in their family was lost. He got this telegram nine days later after the tragedy. So he gets on a boat and he goes over to be with his wife because she's saying, you know, what do I do? She doesn't know what to do. On the boat ride, on the way over to meet his wife, as they approach the place where the accident happened that his family was killed, the captain called them up privately. He said, I just want you to know that this is the spot where your daughters perished. 
he thanked the captain and he went back to his stateroom and he pinned these words. Does anyone know what those words are? It's the hymn, It Is Well. It is well with my soul. It is a tragedy that cannot be surmised. It is devastating to lose everything you have, including your family. How does a person go from losing everything within two, two and a half weeks to being able to write things like this? This is the... um, Um, the words to it. How many of you don't know what It Is Well sounds like? It is a classic hymn. Here's what I want to do real fast, if I can. I, um, it's actually one of my favorites, and what I'm going to ask you to do is look past your musical preference stylings, because this is a classic hymn, and it's been redone a thousand different ways, and I just picked one that I thought was, was very, very um, good. I want to just let you listen to, the, listen to the music real fast. And I want you to, again, imagine a father passing over the spot where his children were taken by the mistake of somebody else after losing everything and to be able to write words like this. Okay? When, when peace like a How do we move 
from losing our children. My daughter's here, and I would be devastated. I don't know how. And yet it is possible when there are tragedies and losses in our lives to move into a place where we have peace in the midst of that. And I'd like to spend a little bit of time next week learning how to do that. As an interesting little caveat, that was the first and last stanza of six stanzas. This is the second one. Though Satan should buffet, though trial should come, let this blessed assurance control. This is the assurance that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. What is ironic, what is unique, is the pain and the suffering that we experience in life is not unique to us. God incarnate shows up and says, I will experience the same levels of pain and loss so that you are not alone in it. He doesn't leave us alone in that pain when we understand that. And again, there's a process to kind of move into easier acceptance of that. But it's more stuff to wrestle with next week. Does that sound okay? Grieving. It's an interesting concept, and then we're going to keep talking about how failure affects us and why and all those good things. All right? Everyone doing okay? Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like more information, please visit paulelmore.com.